0: So I have a question for you. If you had a major announcement for your family, maybe it was a promotion, maybe we're moving, maybe something significant, an opportunity that you want to cascade and share with them. Would you pick up the phone and call your neighbor to deliver the message because you don't have time to and it's just information that you need to disseminate? and leaders you know delegation is a good characteristic that leaders should have but some of the most important messages need to come from you you guide the ship and people need to hear your voice but then my conversation with Mindy Flanagan she talks about human resources where some companies outsource everything but it is critical that this is human resources. There are people in the organization that need to understand how we support them for themselves personally, as well as the work they do in your business. So don't outsource at all, but let me not take the fire away from Mindy. She is going to deliver an amazing message for you, as well as an amazing interview. Let's listen.
1: My opinion is you can never fully outsource HR and any company that's trying to tell you you can HR outsource all of your HR to us. We got it. They're lying. They're lying because whether you have an outsourced HR partner or you're trying to do it all in-house, there has to be someone that's a champion of being that point of creating and maintaining HR infrastructure in a way that people on the leader team understand how to leverage that HR infrastructure in making day-to-day employee management decisions. I even spoke yesterday during a radio show where I was interviewed where um, I got to make the point that I seem to be making more often. It is not the job of HR to do the leader's job for them.
0: Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode of The Drop-In CEO podcast. Week after week, I am blessed with speaking to amazing leaders who share their insights and inspiration with you. If you love this episode, and I do hope you do, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring you this great show week after week. And we are in service to the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow. So I want to kick this off. I am honored to have a fantastic guest, Mindy Flanagan. Mindy loves to plan, organize, and simplify And after 20 years of working in the HR outsourcing industry, she grew impatient and concerned about the stigma that small businesses had about HR. HR was too complex. So with that, Mindy was inspired to change that and saw an opportunity to uncomplicate the complicated. And in 2007, she founded Inspiring HR to specialize in employee management basics for small businesses and develop a service model to keep her and her team accountable and keep it simple, understandable, relevant, and empowering. And I can't wait to have this conversation and bring it to you. Mindy, welcome to the show.
1: What a nice introduction. Thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all day.
0: Thank you. And I am as well. And a special shout out to a Richard Carlton. He was a detective and found this podcast and felt it would be a great conversation to bring us together. So shout out to Richard. Thank you so much for introducing me to Mindy.
1: Yes. Thank you, detective.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's go there a little bit. Before we get to our usual conversation, we, before we jumped on here, you talked about nicknames and the power and the importance of nicknames for employees and the people in your community. Tell me how that started. And I'm curious. What's your nickname? Some people call me
1: the Energizer Bunny, which is <laughs> your cue to tell me to stop talking so fast, I would imagine. Yeah, I, You know, I did that early in my career. I think it was an element of me wanting to have a little bit more fun in my professional life. It's, It was an element of connectivity. Maybe it was even a little tick of nervousness when I was early in my career and I had people that were older than me. I was working around and I admired them and I wanted to feel like there was some level for which we could have fun and build a, a nice personal rapport. So I'm thinking back in my like in the early 1990s with some of my coworkers when I was just a payroll professional, and I I think I nicknamed one of the benefits brokers in the office Boat Boy because he owned a boat and he loved that, and we ran with it. And I think he's Boat Boy now. Still, he still calls himself sometimes with me. So, but I, I took that more into my leadership realm. And took it a little bit more seriously when I had the good fortune of growing an organization that went from two of us to now 11 of us in a completely remote, we'll call it cloud-based virtual environment. I mean, there's 11 of us working in six states now, and I'm quite proud of our culture of connectivity and collaboration and teamwork, and yet none of us are in the same room but once every two years. So you really have to be intentional with how you keep the work environment fun and engaging, and you're able to put a smile on everybody's face, particularly even during times for which we're collaborating on hard, to- hard topics or trying to overcome a challenge together. So uh, it, it just became a, an element of how I personalized the employee experience, I guess.
0: And I love what you've done by that, just through the art of nicknaming people, and then they own it and run with it. It shows that you deeply listen to who they are and their essence. Because then when they own it and run with it, they're proud to have that nickname. And I will tell you, I probably share the Energizer Bunny with you. I am a fast talker from the East Coast. I slow it down a little bit, but I can go from daylight to sunset and then I crash. But
1: anyway. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you. It's uh, that breathing thing that sometimes escapes me sometimes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. But anyway, I would love for you to share a little bit about with our audience, your career journey. And what I'm really interested is, is you and that journey and the insights that you've gained for which now you've formed Inspiring HR and now you're in service to small and medium-sized companies. Tell us more about that journey. You know,
1: I've always loved to work. And I I think it's because i At a young age, I was around strong, successful women. My grandmother in the 1970s had a a great career with, I think it was AT&T now maybe, but it used to be Ma Bell. I don't know if anybody remembers Ma Bell in the telecommunications industry, but I watched her and and professional, she propped me up at her little adding machine when I would visit her at her office in the afternoons. And my mother was a professional. I I just had so many strong, professional women around me at a young age. And Somewhere in that journey, I got a strong sense of self in wanting to be a professional, almost so that the neighborhood kids would joke that I wanted to play office more than I wanted to play house. But fast forward to my my educational journey, where I got a personnel and labor relations degree from one of the SUNY schools in New York. And I didn't know it at the time, but one of the best things that could have happened to me was instead of getting an HR-related job, a personnel-related job after graduation, which were hard to come by in the mid-90s, I got a payroll job. And that's the first time I realized that I had a HR-like degree in hand, but I didn't know a thing about the basics of HR. That payroll job was invaluable in really understanding the compliance side of HR. And I learned more during that payroll job in the first six months than I probably learned in two years of college. It was my first preview on the value of work experience and how different that can be from an educational experience. But from there, I just owned my career, my career growth for a period of time. I worked and I pushed and I suggested and I looked for change and I looked for improvement. But the thing that I learned early on with that payroll job is I had multiple clients and I learned how to build relationships, successful relationships through a cross-section of different personalities, different industries, different expectations, and how to really deliver a a satisfactory client-service relationship. But then I got an opportunity to now leverage my HR skills and my HR education into some promotions. And ultimately, I stayed within the professional employer organization industry from the mid-90s to early in the 2000s. And I enjoyed a great career, various HR roles and capacities Eventually up to leadership roles. I had worked my tail off for a lot of years then and met Mr. Wright and Mr. Wonderful later in life and um, had a difficult pregnancy um, after I got married and decided career had to be on hiatus for a moment or two so that I could take care of the little one, which now is wandering around somewhere in my house. She's now 18, she's not so little anymore. But I tell you this because it was when I was on bed rest with her and thankful for the journey I had with my employer at the time that I finally found my true passion of making a job work for me. I have this vivid, I've told this story before, but I have this vivid moment where I was watching my little preemie baby in the swing right next to my desk while I'm working, while I'm on FMLA. And I thought... I, I, can't go back to work. Corporate America will eat me alive. I'm not disciplined enough to tell corporate America, no, and this kid will never know me. So it's, it, I have to control my destiny. So we decided to regroup. And I, we were thankfully well off enough that I was able to start inspiring HR in a way that I could align my skills in building relationships with small business owners, which is where I was most comfortable so, that's what I did from two thousand and seven to present. so it's i I take these milestone moments in life where I now believe what my godmother once said to me, which is "Trust the process wait for your wait for your moments to make decisions, and the situation will declare itself and I guess that's my life story up to this point when it comes to the work that I so enjoy now
0: so Mindy, thank you so much for that. you know we produce this content, one for you and I to get to know each other, as well as build a relationship. And maybe there's a way we can support each other on a common journey. But I also do these things also for the insights and inspiration. And one of the things you just said to me, which I hear over and over again, is trust the process. I am on a similar role. I've had a successful career in corporate. I now have have the opportunity to be a business owner and find the clients and serve them as well. But there is great discipline and patience in the process. Now, the podcasting, getting to meet great people like you, building relationships, potentially referrals, et cetera, that is all part of the process. And just because I haven't made up my corporate salary and I have the good fortune of having a great career, it's the process and the fun and the figuring it out, knowing people like you have also honed the process with patience and time. And now you're in service to others. So you've given me hope and faith that what I'm doing, just keep going and this will continue to expand and impact many. So thank you so much for that.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I will share with everybody that it took me a while, even after I started inspiring you to on my own journey of leadership development and maturity to start to feel better about the fact that there are these mysterious finish lines that were exhausting me that I was attempting to, cl- to cross. They don't really exist. Every day is a different journey, and it's just, it's just a path of continuous improvement, and I stopped being too hard on myself when a day didn't get as improved upon as I thought it should.
0: So that's great insight, even for an aspiring C-suite leader, just to listen to that as well, that as long as you have a strategy and you work every day towards that strategy, be in control of it. You set the lines, you set the deadlines, and if you don't meet them, they're your own be okay with just still making incremental improvements each day, but make sure that it's on your own terms if you have the opportunity versus being subjected to somebody else. And again, we need to grow up through our corporate careers and learn from others, but at some point we need to take control of ours. And hopefully, working with HR business partners such as yourself, you're there along the way to help develop us. But I would love to just go in another direction because you are an expert. I, I, I love working with people like you that work with businesses in that HR dimension but I really want to talk to you about what makes you different. You know what are the pain points? What makes your business different when it comes to partnering with leaders? Do you come in from an HR perspective or maybe from a business perspective? How best can you serve leaders that seek out your services?
1: I think we open a lot of doors with the fact that we're relatable and we would we adjust our approach to the needs and expectations and style of each of the individual business leaders that are brought in front of us to have a conversation with, get to know us. And we have, you know, a baseline of questions that we ask that are important in understanding what if what we offer meets their needs and expectations. I would tell you that our style, probably as an element of my own style is we tend to get to the point. I am a business owner myself trying to accomplish a lot of things in a single day. I set the most unrealistic to-do lists every day. And I don't know why I do it. It's a horrible habit. But when you're at the mentality of wanting to accomplish a lot in a small period of time, there's no time to waste in any given day. Never put off for tomorrow what you can get done today. I don't know if that's necessarily healthy, but that's the way I'm wired. Most of our conversations initially with people interested in working with us in that if you want us to get to the point, we'll get right to the point. If you were referred to us and you already believe in our services, we'll talk to you exactly about what our plans are for you, or we'd be happy to hear more about your specific pain points and what motivated you to learn more about us in the first place. So I tell you all of this because at the heart of what we do and where we compete with other entities that offer HR outsourcing services, we are truly a relationship-based customized service solution. Any payroll system can tell you it does HR, but it's modules, it's self-service, it's workflows. Small business owners do not have time for that. And in all likelihood, probably the office administrator catch-all doesn't have time to spend four hours a day toying around with modules that may or may not tell them how to get something done in HR space or even how to make a decision that's HR related. We're trying to provide an experience for which a relationship is built over time that instead of you fishing around Google for maybe the right answer, you just pick up the phone and your HR consultant gives it to you straight. Do that. Don't do that. Here's why. What else can I help you with? I mean, we really try to get to the point. And when it comes to solutions that integrate into the business that are meant to scale the growth. There's nothing cookie cutter from us. Yeah, we got starting point templates on how to tackle an employee handbook or a manager's manual or a job description. But those templates are just a placeholder for where we're going to ask a whole bunch of questions about any particular client company's needs, expectations, and plans so that anytime we produce a final solution for that business, it is truly tailored to their brand, their needs, their style, their expectations, their culture. That's the only way to truly build HR into a small business and make it add value.
0: So what I'm hearing from you is really you're a business partner before you're an HR partner. You seek to understand their entire business now and where they're going and advise them obviously you're in the area of HR expertise but you're advising them now on what they need now and probably what they need in the future so it's more from a business approach versus a pure HR perspective. Yeah and you
1: know, my wish list item may be I don't think it's realistic that it'll forever stay on my wish list item. For all of those budding small business owners who it's them and a partner and they're thinking, you know what, we're probably going to grow from anywhere from two to five employees in the next 18 months. What do we do first? I would love to sit in that room just for one hour at no charge and make sure their business plan for the next 12 to 24 months includes some element of little by little adding HR infrastructure into that business. So they're adding value and preventing problems along the way instead of letting a problem compound. And then we got a whole bunch of mess to clean up by the time you're at 10 employees.
0: So talk to me about the leader that should have had you in the room when they were two to five, but have the good fortune now. They're 25 to 50. They're 25 now. They're going to 50. They've been hanging on by having just an HR generalist who's been piecemealing, paying people on time, doing their reporting, et cetera but now they're overwhelmed and potentially getting themselves in a pickle (laughs) or a difficult situation. So I hate to see a leader come in at a moment of potentially crisis, but what would be your approach now? If they haven't leveraged your expertise and consultancy, what should they be doing now? What kinds of questions should they be asking themselves? And then maybe picking up the phone and talking to Mindy.
1: Well, first they would should know, my opinion is you can never fully outsource HR. And any company that's trying to tell you, you can HR outsource all of your HR to us, we got it, they're lying. They're lying. Because whether you have an outsourced HR partner, or you're trying to do it all in-house, there has to be someone that's a champion of being that point of creating and maintaining HR infrastructure in a way that people on the leader team understand how to leverage that HR infrastructure in making day-to-day employee management decisions. I even spoke yesterday during a radio show where I was interviewed where I got to make the point that I seem to be making more often. It is not the job of HR to do the leader's job for them. For instance, you may have an HR partner, internal or outsourced, that helps you, the business owner, whoever you delegate to, understand how to put together a good annual review or performance management system and process. And yes, there's standard operating procedures and their forms. It's great to have that infrastructure for your leader team to rely on. But the HR person isn't going to conduct those annual reviews. We don't have day-to-day knowledge of how that particular employee has done. It's our job to make sure the leader team knows how to leverage the infrastructure we've put in place. And this is why what I mean about you can't fully outsource HR because it's, it's not HR's job to do the leader's job for them. It's there to be a resource for the leader and not a psychology chair for the employee that just wants to complain but never change anything. That's my other pet peeve with HR. HR is not there to be the psychology chair for employees that just want to complain about the relationship with their leader. We're there to prop people up to work together we're problem solvers. We're infrastructure keepers. We're not undermine the leader-to-employee relationship person.
0: It's just another business system, not just kind of a dumping ground for problems. Right. What I really love about your approach, and that's very similar to the work that I do, is I am a drop-in CEO. I am a leader that, yes, I can roll up my sleeves, write all the procedures, get the systems working, have you pass an audit, or get you out of hot water. But the true work, the noble work that we do is when we then partner and educate and elevate the capability of the people so they don't really need us or they at least know when to call us because that's where we leave our legacy and we've elevated the business. So we become partners, not necessarily, okay, the consultant told us to implement this procedure, but it's just not working.
1: Yeah. And back to the question that you asked, it's kind of the shout out to that HR department of one. I'm just making this figure up off the top of my head, just based off instincts. But that HR department of one in a business with less than 50 employees, shout out to, let's call it the reluctant spouse, the controller or the office admin that just because at some point somebody told them to run payroll, now somehow they're in charge of everything HR and they're supposed to know what to do, even though they've had no formal HR training whatsoever. And they're kind of just figuring it out on the fly. At some point, something breaks, right? The reluctant spouse, the controller, somebody says, I can't do this anymore. This is inefficient. Our culture is deteriorating. I can't hire this way. We can't retain. Something breaks and it becomes that 3 a.m. thought for the top level decision makers. And that's normally when we get engaged and we engage in a way that we want to partner with the existing staff to make their life better, to empower them to understand how we can work with them To still keep them involved in HR and empower them to be successful in understanding the infrastructure we are building with them so that ultimately they don't need us as often down the road. And it's an infrastructure that can continue to grow and be maintained for their business.
0: So what you just mentioned right now speaks to one of my talking points is having the courage to ask for help, whether it is that person that by de de facto has become the HR leader. Or the leader of the organization that says, can I get by another day, another week or month or a payroll period with just what I have and stay still stay out of trouble? I really, really ask leaders out there to have the courage to just have a conversation with somebody from the outside to validate what you are doing right because you have had somebody figuring it out. But what are the risks to your business? Because what you do as a leader is about risk and opportunity. You need to know what are the risks associated with not having the right infrastructure and the opportunities that can unfold ahead of you. If you do have the right infrastructure, again, 30 minute conversation just to be more informed so you can make the right decisions down the line. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to bring this a little bit more now to current day because we oh, hopefully are turning the corner on everybody working remotely, everybody on Zoom calls. There is a high level of that way of working. And then they talk about the new normal or going back to normal. Talk to me a little bit about your perspective when you talk to leaders about what does it mean getting back to self or normal so we can continue to thrive?
1: Well, first thing I would say is I have challenged people that I have really strong relationship with that say, we want to get back to normal. I'm challenging them a little bit on whether or not they're romanticizing what normal was in the first place before COVID started, right? COVID and living through the, the uncertainty of COVID and what might happen next with our businesses, that in itself was exhausting and it required a lot of, don't say it too loud, the pivot word. Everybody's burned out on pivot. But let's, let's not go so far to believe that everything was perfect before COVID, We had to pivot to remote work. We didn't love it. And now we go back to the office and everything's just good again. I mean, let's be a little realistic. I'm certain there were opportunities for improvement even before COVID landed on our front door. And if you go into it with that context and understanding where your business is at now and where you want it to be, particularly in the workplace culture, the employee experience, everybody's talking a lot about the employee experience right now because the labor market is so tight. I don't see the labor marketing untightening, so to speak, anytime soon. You know, I enjoy banter with my own CEO group, and a lot of them pay closer attention to economic data than I do. You know, they're in different industries and get different data across their desk desk some days than I do. But there is a lot of data to show that it's not as simple as less people want to go back to work. (laughs) There's really just less people that are able to work now. There are a lot of people that retired during covid that have no intention of going back. So it's the reality is we've got less labor out there. But I bring all of that up because again when you speak to the individual needs of each business, each of them have a different wish list item based on the dynamics of the leader team on what's best for their workplace. And it all comes down to the how do we competitively recruit and retain the best possible talent to provide the best possible outcomes? And so there's a lot of hard conversations going on right now about, can we offer hybrid? Should we offer hybrid? If we offer hybrid, how do we support that? Do we have a frontline leader team that's equipped to lead a team where some people in the office three days a week and some people are in the office two days a week? Or can we really continue to save on office leases by not having anyone go back to the office ever again because we've decided remote work works for us? So it's just a matter of what you really believe is, is, is most important to preserve what you expect of your employees and what kind of employee experience you want to give them for the short and long term.
0: So what you have shared is really interesting, and I often talk about this as leading and lagging indicators. I come from an operations perspective, and we talk about, are we going to meet our sales numbers? Are we going to stay within budget? Are we going to have the service performance that our customers want? And those are law lagging indicators because it's all that upfront work that you should be doing in order to build the capability of the people in order to be able to meet those objectives. So when you reframe the conversation from the context of what do we want the employee experience to look like as a leading indicator of performance, then you then have different conversations versus we want to come have everybody back at the office and how do we make sure that that works for us? It just starts from a different perspective. So I love the work that an HR does. Because you're still talking business with people, but you're bringing in a little bit more of a human dimension to consider that as more of a primary focus versus an afterthought.
1: And some people have really challenged me on remote work work substantively and and correctly so. What do you do about the gap in information sharing when we're not all in the same room hashing out a problem and things are kind of just dropped as a side, but somebody could really learn from that? Somebody could really a greener person could really learn just by osmosis being around how a more senior person chooses to frame a conversation or tackle some sort of creative problem-solving issue with the client. I know that there are gaps there, but there's, also, there's gaps everywhere. It's, it's sort of a cost-benefit analysis. I would argue that for as much as those gaps exist, is there more time being wasted when people get what we call hallway ambushed? You know, the people that already have a full plate at the office and have lots of things to accomplish in a day, but you're simply on your way to take a bathroom break and somebody else in another department ambushes you in the hallway with a big problem. And now your entire day has just been derailed because somebody has, in essence, ambushed you in the hallway. Or how much time is really being, I'd say, squandered by the lengthier complaining sessions in the kitchen or the break room? I mean, there's There's a cost benefit to everything. You just have to figure out where's the least of the gaps, right? Um, And the other thing that's gotten interesting now with conversations that I'm having, we had had a lot of clients that were ready to tell everybody to go back to the office. But now raising gas prices have even made them question that. Why am I going to send them back into the car to spend a lot of money on gas right now? We're not prepared to give them pay raises because we're still finding our footing post-COVID. But I'm now going to tell them just because I want to micromanage them more that they have to fill up their gas tank two times a week at the cost that gas is running right now. I've had you know, leaders really reflect on whether or not that's an even fair ask if they're not prepared right now to give a cost of living increase. So there's, Like I said, it's really individualized per company and per temperament of the leader team.
0: So I'd love to bring in a question back to you because what you do in service to others has been truly necessary. And I'm so grateful that you provide these services. But if I were to talk to you like in a year or two from now, where are you taking Inspiring HR? What do you hope it to be? Or where where are your plans for the company?
1: Oh, I'm always operating in two buckets, my wish list bucket. And what I have to admit is likely reality. I myself am conflicted from time to time I, you, know, you know the math, you know the best use of your time, but you also know what you love. I really love leading my team. I really love having relationships with the people that have chosen to spend during a portion of their career, their time, and their talent with inspiring HR and our clients. I, I am forever grateful to those people who have chosen to work with us. And some people on our team have been around 10 years or more, which I am really, really proud of. My heart wants to create an HR apprentice program. So, if my wish list item could be inspiring, HR is primarily running itself, and I'm occasionally popping in, but I'm more a champion of creating an HR apprentice program so that I can give budding HR professionals sort of a realistic, useful, we'll call it a three to six month mini course on actually getting that entry level HR job where they can be immediately effective because I feel like there's still a huge gap between what you're taught in college versus the reality of what's expected of you in those entry-level positions, I I really would love to champion an HR apprentice program, but it's, it's finding the time to do it. Two years from now, if I'm doing that, I'm going to be really proud, but I can't imagine that I would be so far removed from inspiring HR that I wouldn't have my finger on the pulse just a little bit with the day-to-day because it's become almost a second child to me. And I have no intention of going anywhere anytime soon particularly if all these same people are still working for me a couple of years from now, I feel a responsibility to continue to maintain those good working relationships. So it would be hard for me to fully step away. And for anyone who's listening, I've had this epiphany sooner I've had this epiphany over the last couple of months where I started to grow inspiring HR at a time where I believed I hadn't I hadn't met that line, that line of respectability and credibility until we got to this much in revenue, or this much in clients, or this many employees. I'm proud of where we really are now. And I'm certainly not against growth. But I've had to recently look in the mirror and say where I have the most pride is in the relationship I have with my employees. And I'm just going to publicly admit, I don't know if we'll get bigger than 15 employees based on how I'm wired as a leader. I really take a lot of pride in in being able to get to know people On a you're not three layers down for me in terms of direct reports. And I just I don't know this could be the same company that takes this great care of its clients if we were more than 15 employees. I don't see it.
0: So I want to thank you for answering that question. I don't often ask that of my guests. But one of the things that you said that really resonated with me, and that's why I'm so glad that Richard has brought us together, is that when we want to leave our legacy helping the next generation leaders. So I also have the Drop-In C-Suite Academy to help those aspiring C-Suite leaders that are really good at what they do, often mid-career, but lack the support system to build back their confidence and be able to take control of their career. So I too want to leave a legacy and help the future leaders. So I'm grateful that you are also looking into and pursuing that work. It's noble and it leaves a lasting impact. So This has been an amazing interview. I know we could talk on and on because we both sincerely care about the human dimension of leadership. Humans still run the world and we need to continue to evolve them and elevate them so that they can be successful in the businesses they serve. So are there any last parting thoughts that you want to share with our listeners before we bring this to a close?
1: Well, if anyone out there is thinking they need HR help, but they think HR consulting means what you think it was like interacting with that corporate HR department 20 years ago, it's not the same. We have all evolved to be really great add value partners. And I'm not just talking inspiring HR. There's so many good HR consultants out there that know how to be those business-minded individuals who can weave HR into a small business and make the leadership team's life so much easier to the point you made earlier. Don't be too proud to ask for help. We've all been there. We all need subject matter experts around us so that we can all share information together and we can all succeed.
0: So Mindy, I'm grateful and thankful that we've had this conversation. I hope we continue the conversation in servicing those businesses in one way through your skills or mine. But I just want to say thank you again and I do wish you continued success.
1: To you as well. Thank you for having
0: me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, The CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about The CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.